Okay, everyone. Good evening. Let's get started tonight. This is our um, last Bible class in 2020. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, 2020 is almost gone. And uh, this is our last Bible study together as we get ready to head into 2021. If you have your Bible with you, I want to ask you to take it out and go into your Old Testament to start out with. I want to ask you to go to the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah is uh, the Old Testament book that talks more about the coming of the Messiah than any other. So we want to read some scripture from there in, in a few minutes. Isaiah 35. We're going to be in lesson number three in the second half of your workbook. So we're on the miracles of Jesus portion of the workbook. That's the second half of the book, and we're in lesson number three. We are continuing in this series about the miracles of Jesus. Remember, we're trying to uh, really focus on Jesus as far as our theme goes this year about experiencing the fullness of Christ. We want to know Jesus better. We want to draw closer to Jesus. We want to become more like Jesus. I hope as Christians, we can all agree that there's, um, there's never too much talking about Jesus. We can't ever teach about him or preach about him too much. If we miss Jesus, we miss, we miss everything. And so we're going to continue talking about Jesus tonight and talking about his miracles. Now, in our last lesson, we considered what we called an explosion of miracles an explosion of miracles. We looked at how in two chapters, Matthew 8 through 9, Jesus performed at least 11 miracles in those two chapters. He healed lepers. He healed paralyzed people. He healed people sick with terrible, life-threatening fevers, demon-possessed people. He even showed power over weather, over nature, calming terrible storms. He even raised the dead. We read about a time when he raised a little girl from the dead. He healed a woman who had been sick for 12 years with what seemed to be an incurable disease. She had paid doctors all kinds of money and was not getting any better. She was only getting worse, the Bible says. And Jesus healed her. She touched his garment and she, and he was, and she was healed. And then we also read about Jesus healing blind people. Now tonight, we are going to start dissecting each and every one of these kinds of miracles. Starting tonight and until the end of this series, we're going to start dissecting each and every one of these kinds of miracles. Matthew 8 through 9 kind of gives you a, an overview of the kind of things Jesus was doing. But starting tonight, we're going to start dissecting, looking very carefully at these kinds of things in more, in more detail. We're going to start tonight by looking at the occasions when Jesus gave sight to the blind. There are numerous occasions in the scriptures when we can read about Jesus giving sight to the blind. Blind people have been around in this world for thousands and thousands of years, and Jesus, when he was on the earth, he was giving sight to the blind. He was giving sight to people who were born blind, people who had never seen before in their lives. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. Before we do that, let's bow our heads and have a prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are so very thankful, God, for this opportunity to be here tonight 
to study together, to grow together, uh, to learn more about Jesus and to learn more about his power, his glory, his majesty, and about the amazing things he did uh, when he was on this earth that confirmed that he was who he claimed to be. We pray, Father, that you will bless our study tonight. We pray, Father, that you will be uh, with all of our young people who are studying in their classes, be with all the Bible class teachers. Just continue to be with us, Father, as we get ready to uh, head into a new year, if you allow us to. We pray that next year that we will be better for you, that we will grow even more, become more like Jesus, and that we will uh, give you glory in all things. Be with us tonight, Father. We pray for the sick among us, those who need comfort and encouragement at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we began talking about the miraculous power that Jesus demonstrated over blindness, we need to understand that the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets foretold about how the Messiah was going to do this. They foretold in the Old Testament how the Messiah was going to grant the blind the ability to see. And so are you in the book of Isaiah? We're going to Isaiah 35, and I want to look at just two verses there. The book of Isaiah, as I said earlier, is a messianic book. It, it foretells many important things about Jesus and many things that the Jews needed to be able to recognize ahead of time to be able to, to, to see the Messiah and to be able to know who the Messiah was going to be. And so in Isaiah 35 and verse 5, this is a messianic prophecy. This is talking about the time of the Messiah. It says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy for waters will break forth, will break forth in the wilderness and the streams and the Arabah. So I want you to notice what Isaiah says here. And he's, there's a messianic portion of this. There's messianic, part, messianic parts to this. I'm going to show you that clearly in just a second. But in these verses, Isaiah says that the Messiah was going to grant the blind the ability to see. He was going to open their eyes. He was going to open their ears. He was going to give those who had never been able to walk, not just the ability to walk, but to leap. And those who have never been able to speak will speak and shout, even shout for joy. I want you to go in your Bible now to the book of Luke. Look at Luke chapter 7, please. We go over to Luke chapter 7. And there was a time when John the baptizer was very discouraged. He was very discouraged. He was locked up in prison. Uh, he had been locked up by Herod, and maybe he was expecting, like many Jews were expecting, the Messiah to, to liberate the Jews from the Romans and establish some sort of earthly kingdom. He was frustrated with Jesus, it appears. He was frustrated that Jesus wasn't helping him, and he had been locked up in prison. So he sent some of his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you the one? Are you the most expected one or should we expect somebody else? And so look at how Jesus responds to this. 
In Luke 7 and verse 21, it says, At that very time he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, he said to the disciples of John, the disciples who had come to Jesus, asking him, Are you really the Messiah, or should we be looking for somebody else? He said to them, Go and report to John what you see and what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The gospel, or the poor, have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense in me. So John was wondering if Jesus was really the Messiah. Jesus says, you go tell him I'm fulfilling prophecy. I'm doing exactly what the Messiah was supposed to do. The Messiah was supposed to do these kinds of things that you've seen me doing, giving sight to the blind, healing lepers, giving the, the deaf the ability to hear, preaching the gospel. And so the ability to give sight to the blind was a big part of Jesus verifying that he was the prophesied Messiah. He's fulfilling the words of Isaiah. In fact, when it comes to giving sight to the blind, I think it's important for us to point out that we don't find anyone doing this prior to Jesus. You don't find it in the Old Testament. You don't find anybody giving sight to the blind. Now, there are a lot of miracles you can read about in the Old Testament, but nothing like this. This would be something that the Messiah would do. It starts with Jesus. It will end with his apostles. His apostles would do similar things. Now, tonight, what we want to do is we want to just focus on four times, four particular times when Jesus gave sight to the blind. The first example is found in Matthew. When you go to Matthew chapter 9, please, we made reference to this um, in our last class. This was the last miracle I think we looked at, but we didn't really look at it in a lot of detail. Matthew 9, look at verse 27. Matthew 9, 27. This occurs after Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Matthew 9, 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, to them Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But what did they do? <laughs> they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. And so let's look at this first example here. I want to talk about this a little bit. Notice how here we find Jesus giving sight to not just one blind person, but two. Two blind men, right? These blind men are not mentioned as far as their names go. We don't know what their names are. They live in Jesus' home city. Because remember the context. All of what's been going on is in Jesus' home city. What is that city? Anybody remember? It's Capernaum. That's right. This is taking place in Capernaum. This is, where, this is the town that Jesus seems to have taken residence of or taken residence in in, in his uh, ministry. Notice what these guys do. They cry to Jesus. The Bible says they cry to him. They, they beg him for mercy. 
they acknowledge him as the Messiah. We know that because what do they call him? Son of, of David. That connects him right to the Messiah. The Jews knew the Messiah was going to be connected to the family of David, according to what the prophet said. The Bible says they were following Jesus. They followed him into a house. Maybe Jesus' house, but they followed him into a house. And they demonstrated great faith in Jesus. They asked Jesus to heal them, to give them the ability to see. Jesus asked them, do you believe that I can do this? And what did they say? Yes, Lord. They acknowledge him as Lord, the Messiah and the Lord. Jesus then touched their eyes. Now look at the process here, because Jesus does these miracles in different ways. You know, why does he do it this way, one way this way, another way that way? The Bible doesn't say. And I don't think we need to focus on that. The point is a miracle is being done. I don't care how he does it. The point is it's a miracle. We can't do it. So Jesus touched their eyes. Here he's touching, he's touching their eyes. And he told them they would be healed according to their what? According to their faith. So a couple of observations to make here. First, here is an example of a miracle performed by Jesus that is dependent on the faith of the afflicted. We talked about that some Sunday, didn't we? We talked about how sometimes a person's faith was directly tied to whether or not the miracle would be accomplished or performed. This is an example of that. Jesus says, you're going to be healed according to your faith. Well, evidently, they must have had great faith because they were healed. But there are other times when Jesus performs a miracle apart from people's faith. And we looked at some examples of that as well. But this is an example of someone, someone's healing being dependent upon their faith. Now, here's the second thing I want to talk about. And I just want to spend about two or three minutes having a brief discussion. The second observation I want us to really talk about is the observation I think we need to make in verse 30. In verse 30, Jesus gives a very stern warning to these men. What is the warning he gives them? Don't tell anybody. He says, don't tell anybody about what I just did for you. You find something similar in the previous chapter. Look at Matthew 8, verse 4. In Matthew 8, verse 4, this is after Jesus had cleansed the leper. Jesus said to him, Matthew 8, 4, see that you what? Tell no one. Don't tell anybody about this, but go and show yourself to the priest and make the offering according to the law. Now, go to Mark. I want you to go to Mark, please. Uh, this, this miracle is also found in Matthew's account, but there's something I want to highlight from Mark's account. You remember when we talked about Sunday when Jesus healed those two men who were possessed with demons in the, in the land of the Gadarenes. Remember that? Uh, one of them was so violent, he was cut, cutting himself with rocks, and he was, they were living among the tombs. They couldn't be bound with chains. And remember, Jesus cast legion out of these men, these demons. He cast out of these men and put them in some pigs. Well, after Jesus did that, in Mark chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, as they were getting into the boat. So Jesus is getting in the boat. He's going back across now. As they were getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him. He's begging him that he might accompany him, and Jesus didn't let him. But he said, now watch this. <laughs> he says, go home to your people and do what? Report to them what great things the Lord has done 
for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and, be and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him and everybody was amazed. So do you see how sometimes Jesus heals people and he says, don't say anything about this. Don't tell anybody. And then other times like this, he says, go tell everybody. <laughs> go tell everybody that you know. So here's my question. Here's my question. My question is, why? Can somebody, just two or three people, why do you think Jesus is sometimes telling people to go and tell about what he's done? And other times, other times he says, don't. Ryan, you had your hand up first. Go ahead, sir. I really like that last part about the people converging on him. And you're right when you say Jesus was more focused on the spiritual than the physical. That's absolutely right. And he even wanted people to understand it with the healings. But this idea of people converging on him, that's a big deal. And I want to elaborate on that more in just a, just a, a few seconds because I think understanding that is key to this. So that's a good point, Ryan. Brother Dunn, yes, sir. Last week you mentioned Anyone, anyone else? No, that, that's, 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 a, that's, that's a, a good food for thought there. Just a couple of more real quick. Lance and then Doug, and then I want to say a few things because we got a lot more to talk about. Lance, yes, sir. My thought is kind of an extension of what Don said, and that's the fact that while, while we know Jesus is deity and has control over the situation, there's some, some politics that he's having to deal with with the Jewish leaders. And if he escalates And this is where we're limited in our thoughts. God controls all of it. He did the things he did so that he would go to the cross at the right time. Right. Now, Doug, I want to say more about that. Doug, then I need to move on. Uh, he knows the people's hearts, and so he knew how they might react to one thing or another. Everything everybody's saying are good, good thoughts, and I can see y'all been thinking about it like I asked you to. And I appreciate that. I really do. So I just want to add a couple of things to what y'all were saying, if I could do that. There are two things I think that need, to be, that need, at least in my judgment, need to be kept in mind here. One is location. This is when geography is a big deal. And Jesus, when he tells these people, don't say something, he's, he's telling them in the area where he's doing 70% of his ministry, Galilee. Jesus can't have people, you know, all over him all the time. So in this a little small area here, and if the word gets out so much and he's doing most of his ministry here, he won't meet the timetable that God has him on and that he is on. 
the land of the Gadarenes is in a whole different territory. Jesus never goes back there again. We have no evidence he ever goes back to the land of the Gadarenes. So he needs a spokesman there. And that, and that demonic man would be his spokesman because he doesn't go back to the Gentile territory. They kicked him out of there, remember? They told him don't come back here anymore. <laughs> so he doesn't go back there. They kicked him out of the land of the Gadarenes, but this man will still represent him as far as being his spokesman and telling these people who need Jesus as well about him, even though he can't come back there anymore. Okay? And then a second thing, and I, and I see, Mitch, I just want to say this real quick. A second thing I want to say is, and I, I think I'm with you on this, Lance. I think the time factor is important. Jesus is on a timetable, and things can get escalated before his time. This is one of the main reasons why he stays out of Jerusalem. He doesn't go to Jerusalem much. He really only spends a lot of time there towards the end of his life. He has to stay out of Jerusalem because if he goes to Jerusalem prior to the right time, he's not going to make it three years. He's not going to make it. He's on a very specific timetable when the providence of God is at work here. And he's revealing these things to certain individuals and telling certain people to say, go, go tell people, other people not to, because the will of God must be accomplished in God's time. Jesus is being very strategic with this for a reason. That's, that's my thoughts on that. Brother Mitch, go ahead, sir. Quick thing, I, we don't know 100%, obviously. Right. What you're saying there is certainly a big part of Jesus' miracles. Doug made a similar point, right, Doug, about the hearts of people. And there were times when Jesus purposely said, I'm not doing a miracle. And the reason why was because he knew these people were unconvincible. They were, they were not going to be convinced. Uh, we see him do that so often with the religious leaders. Uh, you know, he told them one time, you can tell, you can predict the weather. You can't, you know, predict when you got the Son of God among you in his coming, uh, in his kingdom. So, as y'all can see, and, and, and I'm sorry we can't talk more about this because we need to move on, but y'all made some great thoughts, and, and everything you're saying, everything everybody said is true. Uh, I just needed to, I wanted to add a couple of things there, just, you know, maybe some other food for thought. Uh, regardless of whether we can be certain on this, I think we can all agree that when Jesus did get to the cross, it was at the right time, wasn't it? It was at God's time. And he had done everything he needed to do prior to that moment. He did the will of God. He did it very well. So I just think this is interesting because sometimes the gospel doesn't answer these questions directly for us, but they're good food for thought, and it's, and it's, it's, it's intriguing. I think we, this, is another, this is other evidence we see that Jesus is in full control of everything. Do you agree with that? He's in, he's in full control. Okay, so let's, um, let's move on here. I want to say one more thing about that because, you know, we're having this discussion about, about Jesus telling people 
not to say something. And each time he does that, <laughs> what happens? They do it anyway. <laughs> so, you know, maybe everything I said is wrong anyway, you know, because these guys, I mean, these guys still go out and tell Jesus. And can you really, I mean, they're disobeying Jesus. Let's just be honest, they're disobeying Jesus. But do you think they're doing it with like bad intentions? Or <laughs> they're excited. And Gary, shouldn't we be just as excited? You know, Jesus doesn't tell us, don't go tell anybody about me. He says, go tell everybody. He says, go preach the gospel to every creature. And yet so often we do the opposite. Jesus tells us to go tell and we don't tell anybody about something he's done for us way more wonderful than giving, giving physical sight. He saved our souls. So I just think that's, I think that's interesting. Now, the next one we want to talk about is this man from Bethsaida. This is Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, 22 through 26. Mark 8, 22 through 26. Due to time, I'm just going to kind of just kind of go through this really quickly. And I, again, I appreciate all y'all's comments. Y'all always say some things that are very valuable, and I, and I learn from you as well. This miracle, uh, from what you studied on this in Mark 8, occurred in what town? It's Bethsaida. It's Bethsaida. What other important thing took place in Bethsaida as far as a miracle goes? Bethsaida is also the place where Jesus did what? I'll give you a hint. We're studying it Sunday. Somebody's looking ahead. What's the next lesson? Let me see. What <laughs> We studied it Sunday. This coming Sunday, Lord willing. Now I walked on the water. It's near there. It's where he multiplied the food. When he multiplied the fish and the bread the first time. That took place in Bethsaida. You see that in Luke's account, Luke chapter 9. So Jesus didn't just do that miracle, for, uh, multiply the food. He also gave somebody the ability to see. So let's talk about how he did this. I'm just going to briefly just touch on it. The Bible says when you look at those scriptures, he took this man by the hand, takes him by the hand, he brings him out of the village. So that's something else interesting. Jesus doesn't want a lot of people to see this, it appears. He takes him out of the village. He spit on his eyes. That's kind of disgusting. <laughs> okay, now, don't focus on that too much because the miracle is going to be done. But this is not like the last one. The last one, what did Jesus do? The one we studied first. He touched the guy's eye. This time he spits on his eyes. He spits on his eyes. Then he lays hands on him. But he doesn't just lay hands on him once. How many times does he lay hands on him? Twice. Now, the first time, so he spits on this guy's eyes. And then he lays hands on him. And what happens the first time he lays hands on him? He, he's, he's, they look like trees. So that may indicate this man has been able to see before at some point. He knows what trees look like. He says they look like trees. So he can't see. He's kind of blurry, right? He don't have 20-20 vision. But then Jesus lays hands on him again. And what happened the second time? The Bible says he could see clearly. That's a miracle. Someone says, why do you have to lay hands on him twice? And why do you have to spill in his eyes? Look, I'm just like you. I'm just a student of the Bible. I can only go by what the Bible says. I, now, I can give you a bunch of speculations and things, but that's just speculation. All we can go on. And many of y'all who know me well by now know that I'm an advocate of just saying what the Bible says. The Bible don't tell us. And I don't think we need to focus on that. We need to just focus on the fact that Jesus does a miracle. That's the point. You understand that? 
Jesus does a miracle. He spits on this man's eyes. He touches him twice. And after the second touch, the man can't not only just see, but he can see everything clearly. And then what did he tell the man? He told him not to do what? There it is again. There it is. Don't go back into the village. Ryan, and then, and then Mike after that. <laughs> Good speculation, Ryan. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, don't know. Bible don't tell us. Yeah, but that I mean, all I can say is maybe, but I, we don't know for sure. Uh, Mike, yes, sir. Right. The second time he healed him. Right. He could have healed him right off the bat. Right. That, that's definitely true. The heart of that man that we're not told. Right. That was needed. And like you said, and I, I think the same way. He knew what a tree was. Yes. So when did he get blind? How did he get blind? We don't know. Right. But something in the heart of that man that he just wanted to, to get out. That's a good thought. No, that's a good thought. Uh, you know, re regardless of how we take this, because both of y'all got good thoughts. Both of you do. Um, I think this man, I think everybody knew after this that this man's got some supernatural power because this guy went from not being able to see to now. And the Bible does tell us this clearly. He can see clearly. This is a full, complete miracle, right? But he didn't come to Jesus. Right. Right. He was brought to Jesus. That's right. So the, the, the necessity of, of identifying who Jesus is was there. Right. Now, next one. Let's go to the next one before our time runs out. Two blind men in Jericho. Two blind men in Jericho. This is Matthew 20. This, I'm, and and these, these are found in other places, but I'm just giving you the, the primary one I studied. Um, but Matthew 20, 29 through 34. Two blind beggars in Jericho. Jesus, the Bible says in Matthew 20, Verse 29, Jesus was what, Jericho, it says? He's leaving Jericho. Okay, he's leaving Jericho. He's got a large crowd with him. He's got a huge entourage. It's important to understand that in this context, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He's heading to his final week in Jerusalem. We just studied that. So this is the journey to that, that final trip, on, on that final trip to Jerusalem. On the way, though, and can you imagine how stressful that trip would have been? You're walking on a journey, and you know great suffering awaits you. But he helps people. He helps people. You got two blind men approach him. One of them is named in Mark's account. Does anybody remember the guy's name? Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is named. Mark only mentions Bartimaeus. These men beg Jesus for help. While they beg him. They acknowledge him as the Messiah. They acknowledge him as the prophesied Messiah in the crowd. How do they respond to those guys when they're bugging Jesus for a blessing? 
They, they sternly rebuke him. They tell him to be quiet. Leave him alone. Jesus asked him, what do you want? Verse 32. And in verse 34, Jesus is moved with compassion. This is another instance where compassion is directly tied to a miracle of Jesus. They beg Jesus to give them their sight. Jesus moved with compassion. He touches their eyes. Notice this is not the same way as the other one. No spit here. He touches their eyes and immediately, the Bible says, they regain their sight and they follow him. They follow him into Jerusalem. Now, a couple of things we need to make, make a point about here. Some, often people go to this account and they say there are some contradictions here. There's, they, they say there are some alleged contradictions here. First, Matthew, going back to Matthew 20, 29 says, as they were leaving Jericho. Luke, in his account, Luke 18.35, says as they were approaching Jericho. So one says they was leaving Jericho and the blind men came to him. And the other one says they were approaching Jericho. How do we reconcile that? You got, is he leaving it or is he approaching it? Which one is it? It's yes. It's absolutely yes. If you understand there were two Jerichos at this time. <laughs> there were two Jerichos. There was the ancient Jericho, the one that the Israelites conquered. That was in ruins at this time. And there was the Jericho that Herod had built. That today is the oldest inhabited city in the world. I've been to both of them. There are two Jerichos. And, and the gospel writers understand this. <laughs> they live in that time. So if you're a first century person reading this, there's no, you don't even think that because you understand the geography. But when you're 2,000 years removed, you're only thinking of one Jericho, right? And you think there's some contradiction. No contradiction. There are two Jerichos. There's the ancient one that the Israelites conquered in the time of Joshua that was in ruins by that time. And then there's the one that Herod had constructed that is still inhabited with people to this day. So that's how you reconcile that. Now, what do you do with how Mark mentions Bartimaeus and Matthew says there were two of these guys? How do you deal with that? Explain. It's just like you said in the past. You mentioned one. It doesn't say only one. Right. People grasping for uh, grasping when they when they try to they, the problem is so often in our culture we don't understand what a contradiction is we don't we don't we don't understand had one said there were only there was only Bartimaeus and then Matthew says there were two now you got a problem but Matthew never says only he just highlights Bartimaeus and Matthew in his account gets you some additional information he says you know there were really two of these there were two of these guys Mark focuses on one. Matthew gives you additional information. That's all it is. No contradiction at all. And, and I know that's simple stuff to, to bring out to you, but I think it's important because people are always attacking our faith. They're always trying to attack the Bible. We've got to be equipped to give good answers to these things, and, and especially us raising kids. because Our kids are going to come to us with this stuff. We've got to know how to be able to answer, the, answer their questions reasonably, and, and, and so I hope that helps. One more thing I need to say real quick, real quick. John 9. Now, sorry we don't have a lot of time to go through John 9. John 9 is probably the most famous case. This is the man born blind 
uh, who was born blind. Now, we know for a fact this guy had never seen before, like, like the other guy. He was born this way. He was like Stevie Wonder, born blind. And, and this, is an interesting, this is an interesting account. Jesus, in this process, uses spit again. <laughs> he spits on the ground. He makes the clay, makes clay of the spittle. He applies the clay to the guy's eyes and he tells him to go wash where? Where, where does he tell him to go wash? The pool of Siloam. I've seen, the, I've seen where the pool of Siloam is. To get to the pool of Siloam today, you got to go through Hezekiah's tunnel. You remember Hezekiah's tunnel in the Old Testament? Remember Hezekiah before the uh, Assyrians had, were, 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 while the Assyrians were trying to take them captive. Hezekiah had to provide water for his people. So he dug a, a tunnel and he found a way to transfer the water from the Gihon Spring to the Israelites in Jerusalem while at the same time diverting it from the Assyrians. But Hezekiah's tunnel is still in Israel to this day. You can walk through it and it still has water going through it. Now, I'm not a tall guy, obviously, so the water got to about right here with me sometimes. Gary, with you, we might get to your ankles or something, but, but uh, for me, you know, I had to be careful. But it's cold, it's dark. We walked through Hezekiah's tunnel. Hezekiah's tunnel, um, it's a few hundred yards. By the time you get through it, you come out on the other side to where the Pool of Siloam would have been. Now, you say that's not much. Well, that's, that's not the whole thing there, okay? Much of it is on private property today. This is just the part that we could get near the general area where the Pool of Siloam would have been. This is where Jesus had this man go and wash so he could see. Once he washed in the Pool of Siloam, the Bible says he immediately began to see. And after he did that, and I, I recommend you go home tonight and just reread it. There was some problems after that. The religious leaders did not want to accept this. They questioned his parents. They did not want to believe that he was born blind or that he had been blind at all. And there was a big controversy here. And eventually this blind man who didn't even know who Jesus was prior to this, he's converted by Jesus. And uh, so that's an interesting account. I would recommend you read John 9 because we're going to talk a little bit about that in our sermon on Sunday. So th that's an interesting account. But here's, here's the last thing I want to close with, okay? This is the point. I hope I'm, I'm trying to strengthen our faith. I'm trying to strengthen your faith. I'm trying to strengthen my faith, our faith in Jesus. And I just want us to take home that while on the earth, Jesus is doing something that no ordinary man can do. He's giving sight to blind people. Don't you think if there was people who could really do that today, Stevie Wonder would be first in line. He's been blind his whole life. He's got millions and millions of dollars. Jesus, Jesus was giving sight to the blind. And you know what? He's still giving sight to the blind today. Did you know that? Oh, he's still giving sight to the blind. He's not giving sight to the physically blind. Instead, how's he giving sight to the blind today? Spiritually. And how does he do that? Through the light of his word. I want you to write down Psalm 119 and verse 18. Psalm 119, 18. The psalmist says, open my eyes to the wonderful things in your law. God opens eyes today spiritually through his word. And that is why, my dear friends, the elders, our shepherds, me as a preacher, that's why we've been emphasizing Bible reading so much this year. We've been emphasizing Bible reading because we don't want to be blind. 
We want to have spiritual sight, spiritual vision. We want to see clearly Jesus. And the only way we can do that is through his word. That's how God, that's how Jesus is giving sight to the spiritually blind today. So we'll stop right there. Good discussion tonight. I appreciate all your comments. Uh, we'll pick up with lesson four, Lord willing, on, on the Lord's day.